Welcome to The Bandwidth. Here at the Band Arbitrage Network, we combine data and experience to help you understand the world of collectible finance. One of the things that we like to do here at the Band Arbitrage Network is get a little bit of the backstory of our of of the individuals that are here. We like to hear where they've been, where they're going to, and what they're trying to accomplish. So when we think about our hosts here at the Band Arbitrage Network, we we really don't have anything that people can just go to quickly and jump on board and be able to hear about a person's history just a little bit within MTG Finance and within the world of, of Magic the Gathering. So we're going to take a little bit of time. Uh, over the next three weeks, we will be recording a weekly podcast uh, for you to enjoy where we actually start question and answering people about their level of involvement and the things that they love and enjoy about MTG Finance. So we're asking questions. We have nine questions that we are uh, asking today. And if anything comes up within the chat, we're going to be adding that as well to the discussion. So I believe I drew the short straw. And yes, I believe Wit is more than excited to ask me questions. And I believe Wolf is is on pun duty this week, so we're going to try and hit. Lord help us! I mean, he's a punny guy. He can he can handle it. <laughs> That's so punny. I wish it was funny. <laughs> My goodness! They say that My every time a, every time a pun is said, an angel gets his wings. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Oh my goodness! So. <laughs> We're going to ask questions, we're going to answer them, and apparently I'm going to do it as best I can while dodging the puns and and difficulties of wolf and wit. <laughs> you're not going, you're going nowhere. I got you for three minutes. <laughs> All right, so I get to have fun, and I'm going to be the Father Ken this round of asking the questions. So, Father Ken, we're going to go with uh, question number one. What is your involvement level in MTG Finance? So on, on the one hand, it's really easy to try and quantify your involvement based on money. Um, but I prefer to quantify it based on what you actually do. So in my world, all I have is what I have on hand. And I consider that to be a more of a, a backpack grinder. But I don't actually bring my backpack with me to shops and tournaments because it's really hard to buy and sell at tournaments when you're judging. In fact, they would really look down upon it if you do that. So I consider myself to be a backpack grinder. Um, I have cards that come into my house. They get processed on a table. They get put into a box and listed online or held for three to six months so I can resell them at that point. Um, one of the things that I've kind of learned is that I must sell cards at uh, that I purchase very quickly, knowing that I'll take a 15% loss on them because I'm involved in the direct program. Um, kind of one of the things that I kind of pride myself on is just having cards that sell between the $5 and $25 mark. Well, $5 and $21 mark. Uh, because... Those cards are the ones that are kind of my bread and butter. They're the ones that I can get pretty readily and easily by going into shops, uh, by by going into people's binders, offering them cash on cards, and 
they're the ones that I can turn around very quickly and I know that they'll sell quickly. So I try to try to focus in on the five to $20 cards. Uh, I won't pass up a, a great deal on a, on a more expensive card, but I'm a backpack grinder and that's pretty much how I operate. You know, I've, I've only got 210 cards in my MTG account right now, but I want to be able to, to process some of these cards that are sitting on my desk and get them back out into the world. So, yeah, I think that's really cool how you, um, I mean, first off, I think almost everybody, I think a grand majority of people that are into MTG finance all start off as to some level, to some degree of being a backpack grinder, you know, going yeah. to major, you know, major conventions, going to, uh, um, you know, pro tours, going to Grand Prix before they were called uh, Magic Fest, and even even a little bit of Magic Fest, but yeah, like that was kind of a, I mean, there, it was like a whole breed, so to speak, and mm-hmm. and it's really cool to hear that you were you were part of that as well, and yeah, I think like also selling between that five to twenty dollar mark has just been, I think that's a sweet spot for a lot of people uh, for that maximum efficiency. So, yeah. Um, it- it really allows you to diversify when you're when you're young in the game, um, because you don't put all your your hens in one basket. You know, all your eggs get get gathered up. Is there is there a button for for uh, idioms done wrong? Like, I think we should have a button for idioms done wrong. Hmm. Wolf. How often does this happen? How how, how often does do you get idioms wrong there, Father Ken? Well, that's just the thing. Like, like it's really fun to have like like Charlie or Coda on who who are are not American and you know have totally different idioms, and it's kind of fun to be able to listen to them. And they they sound wrong when people say them, but still, it's really funny. Yeah, I mean, we make fun of Charlie all the time, so yeah, he talks funny. That's true. But we still love him. We love him for who he is, you know. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, we're not editing that out, by the way. Um, number two, <laughs> what are your goals for MTG Finance? Well, I was thinking about that this week. Um, I, I Actually, I've been thinking about it for a while. Uh, for the longest time, it was just to increase my, uh, my financial capacity. Uh, that was one of my goals. Uh, just keep churning so I can have more capacity in, in finances. And then I would get to a point where, Hey, I, this bill popped up that needed to get paid, or I need to withdraw a little bit of money to, to take care of, of something for my wife. And then I realized that I just wasn't hitting the goal that I wanted to hit. And so it, it created a, a little bit of, of cognitive dissonance for me. You know, my goal was to increase my financial responsibility, but then I was my, my financial footprint within MTG finance, but then I was pulling money out to, you know, purchase things for myself. And it went kind of counterintuitive to what I was trying to do. So I had to reevaluate my goals over the past month or so. And having this question pop up, uh, we, we started this discussion about two weeks ago and I, I thought of this question. It really forced me to slow down and think. And so I've, I've kind of rewritten my goals. Uh, my goal 
for MTG Finance was to be able to have a, a fully functioning cube. You know, to have a legacy or a vintage cube that that had the Power 9 in it, that had everything in it so I could be able to play with friends and hang out. Well, COVID kind of messed that up. Moving messed that up. Uh, having people that I trust around my cube is is just, it's not there right now. And so I haven't played with my cube for two, two and a half years now. Um... Well, two years, solid two years. And so that goal of, of having a fully functioning cube with Power 9 in it is kind of on the back burner. So then to increase financial footprint was my goal over, over COVID. Well, we're, we're kind of at that spot where I have to take it another step further. You know, we're, what really do I want to accomplish in MTG Finance? Well, my, my current goal is to have an RI every single week, just to be able to have at least $300 of cards sold every single week. So that's, that's my first goal. The second goal that I have is I would like to, to churn about $500 worth of cards every week. So moving from that 300 to 500 is, is probably my, my long-term goal right now. Uh, it's, it's a, I think it's a huge step for me, and I think it's a it's an adequate step for me where I'm at right now. Yeah, those are good goals. I mean, I know that you know one of the things that I know we pride ourselves about in regards to uh, being here in Ban is that everybody is we have a, a very strong diversity within here, and that includes you know obviously different backgrounds, different um, you know different cultures. We're like you know we're global. We literally have people, and I think in almost every continent except Antarctica, like nobody really lives there. Um, but the big thing is though, it's also financially is different goals. So it's really, it, it's really interesting to hear, you know, it's just where you're at in regards to that. So right now, um, are you using, are you, how often do you get reimbursement invoices from uh, TCG player? Well, starting at the beginning of this year, uh, we had kind of a downturn in the market, but since, uh, since really the first of the year, um, I think if I bring up my, my TCG player account real quick, I'll just give you a, a snapshot and I'll give you the, the direct data. This is the part where we're going to add a little bit of, uh, you know, that Jeopardy theme music. Yes. Yes. No, 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 no. We have to, we have to pay money for that guys. That's true. Not if, not if we sing it out. All right, everybody all together. Just kidding. Totally not doing that. <laughs> Yeah, trying to do like a, you know, doing that with uh, like 20 different people with different latencies, that would be an absolute mess. So since the first of the year, I've received eight reimbursement invoices. So we are, we are nine weeks in and I've got eight reimbursement invoices. So I'm a little bit slower than what I want to be. But when we consider uh, my total sales, uh, for I'll go to payments. If we consider my total sales for for this year, you know, I'm definitely in the oh my, I've I'm pretty close to, to three thousand dollars in in reimbursement so far. So three thousand dollars, I am just shy of my five hundred dollar a month, $500 a week in sales goal right now. 
Um, I did have a couple of weeks where there was more sales. Uh, money started rolling in for, for some folks. But, you know, I'm, I'm definitely in that $3,000 mark era area. So I'm getting close to reaching my goal uh, for the first two quarters. So, so well, that means we'll probably have to do another one of these podcasts where we update on your goals because now you're gonna have to increase it from 500 to like 700 or a thousand or, but, but that's kind of the rub that we're falling into right now. Like, so I'm in, I'm in a cyclical point right now. So only gives you money once they receive the reimbursement invoice and they've They've been slow. We'll just say it that way. So, so with TCG player, we have to get back to remembering it's a cyclical pattern. Uh, when you sell a card, it still takes three to six weeks to be able to get paid for that. So I have a lot of money right now, but I don't have a lot of cards anymore. And so I'm, I'm trying to get those cards in to be able to resell. So sourcing cards is one of the toughest things that we do in MTG finance. But getting cards in, having money up front to be able to, to purchase cards and then resell, that's, that is a very difficult thing for me. Uh, I don't function on credit. I just want to throw that out there. I am, I am a cash-only business. I, I have a personal vehemence to borrowing money, period. I'm just being real honest with you. I I don't like owing people anything. And I'm finally out from underneath my student loans after almost 20 years of of paying student loans. And I'm really excited to be done with with paying them, and I just don't want to take any more debt on. I just have no desire to do that. So when I approach MTG Finance, I I borrowed $200 from my family and paid it back as quickly as possible without breaking the bank for my churn. So really every card that I own right now is profit to me. So whenever cards come in after sale, I can do whatever I want with that, with that money. I don't have anybody to pay back. I don't have anything, any, you know, credit cards to pay or anything like that. And so when the money comes in, I turn it around and, and I'm looking for cards actively. Um, kind of in that situation right now where I've got quite a bit of money, but I don't have any cards really to sell. So I expect that as I find more cards in the next week or so, I'll put them up and I'll have a lull in sales about a month from now. Or a lull where I don't have any money coming in. So one of my goals is to to actually have a consistent month weekly week to week sales to have consistent money coming in and going out to be able to to know that every single week I have $500 to play with to purchase new magic cards but then also to know every week that hey I can actually go out and you know, speculate a little bit more than what I am right now so that's that's one of my goals and that's it's really what I'm looking forward to Cool. Yeah, those are good goals to go to. And honestly, like, it, while it does sound like it might be a little bit of a weird situation to be holding cash but no cards, um, there's definitely worse places to be. Like, it's better to have that versus, you know, having right. a lot of debt and having cards that are not moving. So, yeah, I would say you're, you're not in a bad position. It's just 
the question is, you know, when you're looking at, you know, at the pieces on the board, the question is, where do you go from here? Yeah. And, and that's always the big question for me. I'm actively looking for deals in, uh, MTG finance. You know, we, we've got an active, we, we have to be active. We have to be sourcing cards. And I didn't think that would be my biggest problem, but what I've realized is in, in the realm of, of buying and selling in the realm of business, if you don't have product, people can't buy it and you won't make money if you don't have product. So even, even talking with local shop owners here, they're, they only sell what's in the shop. They don't sell on a wish and a dream because they don't know when stuff will get delivered. Yeah, funny how that works. <laughs> yeah. All right, so we're going to go ahead and move along to the third question. How long have you been involved uh, in MTG Finance? Well, I, I was trying to figure that out, and I think I've been involved about three and a half years. About. So I, I jumped in with $200 about three and a half years ago. Uh, I, I joined a popular Discord. I, I joined and, and became a part of it, and then I got booted out, you know, because logic, logic just didn't make sense in the Discord. It didn't make the owner money, so he wasn't too happy about that. And so I, I, I took my ball. I went home, and I said, you know what? Fine, I'll, I'll just go about this logically. And. Uh, I had run into to Wolf. Wolf had actually helped me with a, a number of things when we when I had first joined that Discord. And uh, Wolf got reached out to me, and, and Bacon reached out to me, and they said, "Hey, you know, we'd like you to be a part of what we're trying to do." And I just kind of jumped in with both feet. Uh, I went from from not having a whole lot of of cards and not having a whole lot of of you know, sales to slowly ramping that up. And it, I think it really took about a year to get enough cards to be able to have a consistent sale or consistent money coming in. And so my, my journey has a little bit of a, of a meandering path. Um, you know, there's been a lot of wins, a lot of support, a lot of encouragement from folks. And so I'm, I'm just circling back now and trying to reinvest that money and reinvest my time into the ban arbitrage network. Um, there's been a lot of support, a lot of learning here, and I, I wanted to be a part of that ever, ever since we, we really started. So that's really cool. And I know a lot of people uh, have a similar story in regards to that transition. Uh, yeah. And since then we've had a very healthy environment here, obviously a couple of bumps along the way, but it's just crazy to see how much, uh, how much the Discord has grown, but also how much how much everybody within here have grown as well. Um, and yeah. you know, just at, you know, not just with MTG Finance, but also getting into other finances as well as getting into just getting to know each other better, building relationships. It's really really cool. Uh, and speaking of wins, though, um, I got to ask, what is your favorite win so far? So. My favorite win is actually one that that I kind of struck stuck out at at personally. Um, it's one that I identified. It's one that that I was was thinking about for quite a while. I watched uh, Mishra's bobble get printed in two successive uh, 
uh, printings. And I can't remember exactly which ones they were. I don't know if it was Commander Legends or when that was. But I, I watched them get printed twice. And it drove the price down. Yeah, the Mystery Booster and then the Double Master set was where they were printed. So I watched that. And the price drove uh, Mishra's Bobble down to under a dollar. And so I started sourcing them locally as best I could. I ended up with, with 12 copies. And I, I'm kicking myself now. But I ended up with 12 copies. And I put them in a binder, realizing that, hey, it's going to be a good year before these are, are ready to sell. And boy, was I right. Um, Paper Magic had started back up. Uh, about a year ago and people were desperate for cards and a brand new um, brand new deck popped out that ran four of Mishra's baubles and that Mishra barble went from a dollar a piece to where I was the only seller for about a half hour on TCG direct at near mint and I had my price set at, at $40 a Mishra Bobble. And I sold three of them in that oh, half hour. Whoa, whoa, keep it safe for work there, Ken. <laughs> yeah. Oh. I, was, I was absolutely baffled. Um, so I, I was super excited about that. Um, you know, that, that was a pretty good win in my mind. Um, yeah, it, it's just so much free money with double masters when it hit its highest inventory. Yeah. Yeah. Cause right now Mishra's bobble on TCG player. Cause I pulled it up as you were talking a little bit, you know, multitasking with the current mm-hmm. market price is uh, averaging about $10 for each of them with the cold snapping at market price at 13 and a half. So yeah. even if you didn't sell it at the insane premium that, that TCG direct could that direct pro- provides at times, Selling them now, you're still making ten times the money back from right. a dollar, which is, I mean, that you know, in comparison to other types of markets out there, especially when you look at the stock market, like that's fantastic. Having a, you know, ten times your money back. I think the only times you'll see anything like really beat that is if you, you know, you bought games, you know, GameStop, yeah. you know, back, what was it like last year or whatever? Yeah, but even still, it's. Those are are so rare, but I think each one of us has has a story where where those wins are are real evident, and you just get ahead at that point, and that's what I really like. You know, I, I like having a success story here and there, but the reality of of MTG finances is you can't win all the time. You know, you you're not the one that's going to win based off of speculation. And and that was a total spec card. That was a total card that that I said, well, how much money can I sock away in Mishra's Bobbles for the next year? And I was only able to find 12 locally, so that's what I bought. I I didn't go beyond, you know, to, to get online and order, you know, 30 of them from, from Europe. But, you know, I probably should have. But I wasn't really ready to, to sink in $30 for an entire year. You know, and that's that's just a difference. Uh, it's a different spot than I was, you know, a couple of years ago. So it's it's all about learning and growing and and rediscovering your boundaries on how much you're willing to commit into 
into the finance realm. And I think that's that's part of the learning process as well for me is learning when to stretch and when to hold back. So it definitely takes a, pra- a strong practice, a, uh, a strong discipline, if you will, uh, to be able to do that correctly. Because yeah, it's easy to it's easy to just buy, 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 and end up in debt and whatever else. So like yeah, going back to what you said before in regards to having a boundary of not going with credit, you know, credit, credit cards, etc. But instead, just keeping it to cash. That probably helps you keep within those boundaries. Yeah. And if I didn't do that, then uh, I'd have a really upset wife. (laughs) Yeah. uh, We don't want that. Angry spouse, angry house. Am I right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You've got that right. So going on to the next question here, what got you involved in magic? I mean, you talked about how, you know, you've been playing MTG. So yeah, you talked about being part of MTG finance for the past three and a half years, being a backpack grinder and whatnot. What about magic in general? Like how long have you been doing that? Well, I gotta be real honest with you. I've, I've only been involved in magic since Theros block, the original. Uh, No kidding. 2014, 2015. Yeah. Well, I think it was 2015. That's when I hopped in. I would have pegged you for like Stronghold Mirage or something like. Yeah. You've got sort of that old school vibe. And I say that as a compliment, by the way, like not, so, not, not, not an old joke, but just, you know, your yeah. knowledge is, uh, your knowledge of the game is, uh, you know, astonishing. So I, I actually have a story to tell you. Um, when I was 16, 17, I walked into a target and I, I was thinking to myself, when I walked in, I need to go look at the card games in the back of Target. And I thought to myself, all right, I'm going to go back there and I'm going to go take a look and see what they have. Because I was done with baseball cards. Everybody was printing baseball cards. There was no money left in it. You, it was gambling for kids with baseball cards in the, late, in the mid-90s. So if you look at if you look at the mid nineties baseball cards now, they printed so many of them. They were so ubiquitous. Everybody had them. Everybody had a stack of of baseball cards. I was so done with it. So I had 20 bucks in my pocket. I drove myself to target before work because I needed to get some lunch food uh, before going to work and walked into target, went and looked at the cards in the back. And I saw magic, the gathering. I saw them hanging there. They were unlimited booster packs hanging on the wall. And I saw the word unlimited and I said, they are going to print these till they have no value, just like baseball cards. So I chose not to buy any cards then. And it took 20 years for me to get back into, uh, to get back to the point where I wanted to buy magic cards. So I, I can, I can say that looking back now, I probably should have bought them at the time, but you know, I came from a very conservative household and there was, there was a lot of concern with, um, with the term magic at the time, uh, within my parents' household. And so I, I didn't want to push buttons of my family too much. So I didn't get too involved or think about it too much. I do remember seeing the unlimited booster packs hanging in target, but I got involved in 2015, because uh, one of my clients was just struggling to open up and talk about anything that was going on in their life. 
Um, so I worked doing in-home counseling for the last almost nine years. Uh, I've just transitioned out of that uh, to, to go into a full-time work again. And this client was just struggling to communicate anything. And so I, I finally said, I, I just looked at him and said, what, what do you do for fun? And a big smile got on his face and he says, I play magic. I said, what? What is that? Like you, you get stones and candles out and you do something, you know, here on the ground. What's, what's happening with it? No, no, no. I play this card game. And, uh, he said, yeah, here, let me show you how to play. And so he took his, his blue black deck and showed me a little bit about what it did. And then he handed me a mono white deck with no win condition. Like the, <laughs> the win condition was, was you hit them with creatures, you, you gain life and then you hit the other person with creatures. And then I went, What? So needless to say, for about six months, he absolutely stomped my face. And I, I slowly learned how to play. But one of the, one of the processes uh, for his development was getting him back into public uh, to deal with the anxiety and stress of, of, that he was facing on a daily basis. So I started taking him to, to Friday Night Magic. So I got, I got paid to play Friday Night Magic for, about, for, for a good another three months. And I just learned how to play from those guys. And I developed friendships with the guys at the shop. Um, they're still friends today. Uh, I went from being a very new player in 2015 to being certified as a judge uh, about a year later. I was so fed up with not knowing the rules and nobody would tell me anything uh, that I became a, a level one judge because we only had one judge in the area and I thought, well, I'm already here at, you know, playing F and M with a client. I might as well learn how to judge and, you know, start helping out. So I, I became a judge. Uh, I went from being bad at magic to being okay at it. Uh, and then I started spiking, uh, PPTQs and I would concede in the finals. And I, I think I've had more than one PPDQ where I've conceded in the finals. So it's kind of fun, kind of interesting. Huh. That's really cool. Like that, that's actually a heck of a good story. Cause you know, a lot of people, they, you know, everybody's got their reasons for joining into MT, you know, into playing magic, the gathering, but the fact that yours was, you know, for relationship building to relate, to help somebody actually like transition out of, you know, from being holed up and not yeah. willing to be social and going into that, but then also obviously building relationships and, and, and investing as deep as you are into the, into the game. Now that's actually, uh, that's a really cool story. Like, I, I mean, I don't know what else to add on that. It's just, I'm kind of, I'm like, that's cool. So without that client, I probably wouldn't be an MTG uh, playing the game and I probably wouldn't be uh, in MTG finance because I, I got into the game and I, I wanted to play and I wanted to win. Uh, the problem was is I didn't have a whole lot of money to be able to, to take from my family to put it into the game. So I got into finance to fund my, my Magic the Gathering playing and then I set some goals based upon that to be able to, to play the game for free. 
So. So after like getting into the game and being in it for as long as you are, what are what are elements? What are things that you enjoy about the game? I I have a a frustration with with people who who pick up the most expensive deck and then play it. Um and and that frustration is is came from the fact that that I couldn't invest as much money as as some people had. And what I realized was is that it was just time. They hadn't invested more money than me, they just had more time in the game and they had cards from from winning uh winning at at MTG Finance, well, M- winning at at Magic the Gathering. And so um I naturally tended towards draft and and sealed because of of that that even playing field that I wanted. I, I wanted people to to walk into a uh walk into an event and everything being equal, you sit down and you open up a pack and and that's completely random. Like you don't know what you're gonna get. It's kind of a um, it's kind of the lottery ticket too. You know, you could open a, a a bomb rare for a for a draft, or you could open a a bomb pool for for a sealed event, and everybody's even and level playing field. And you, it's kind of luck and a a little bit of, and a whole lot of skill to be able to make those decks win. Yeah, you know, I mean. Well, and, and I'm guessing that's also the reason why you have you kind of fell in love with building your cube as well. Yeah, yeah. I I really wanted to learn how to play with a variety of cards, and being young to the game and a level two judge with only three years of playing, it was a little bit rough to be able to to learn all the different cards. And so what I decided was is I was just going to play as many formats as I could until I realized that I would need to have, you know several thousand dollars worth of decks in every format and that wasn't financially viable for me at the time so i said well i'm just going to start playing with cubes and one of my friends uh had his uh had his prince cube um which was uh commons and uncommons but he had it completely foiled out so you know a foiled out risk six study back in the day i was that was pretty sweet to look at um and then you you just grab onto some of those things and you just start playing with them and you realize this is pretty sweet to learn how to play with these with these obscure cards that just are are great. And so I, I started I started wanting to play with more and more cards that I didn't know what they did and had to figure out and had to had to apply my judge knowledge to the card to be able to understand how to play it. That's really cool. I mean, yeah, for the record, I mean, it's funny thinking about the foil cube. It's like, yeah, I would be concerned about the c- curling if it's like a lot of newer foils. I'd be like, uh, try to keep it like as dry a place as possible. Um, yeah, but that that cube has has since been deconstructed. And the surprising thing is, is I ended up with a number of those cards um, when when he deconstructed it uh, just from purchasing them from him. Um, I was able to hand him, you know, I think like $1,500 worth of cash. And he handed me a whole bunch of foils and I put them up on, um, on TCG player and they sold quick, which was good, but I'm still holding on to a few things from it. 
That's good. I mean, I'm, and I'm sure that, uh, you know, probably some of those ended up in your own personal cube as well. Not as many as you think. Um, so I, I tend to only replace, uh, cards in my cube with judge promos. So, you know, I've got a stack of judge promos here that need to go into the cube, but I haven't updated my cube in two years. So I, it really needs a complete overhaul and I need to look at the cards that have been printed since I stopped playing with it and decide what's going in and what's coming out. Yeah, honestly, I would love to, I would love to see a list of your cube. Yeah, sure. I can, I'll, I'll post what's, what's it, it's at right now and uh, we can go from there. Sweet. So the, the only thing that isn't real cards in the cube right now is my power nine. So uh, those, I, I had a, I had 52 cards that I picked up. Uh, you can actually order a customized playing card deck from China and it costs about 20 bucks and they are the, they are a little bit wider than magic, the gathering cards, but you can customize the back of the card and the front of the card. And so on the back of the card, I have the, the oversized statement, uh, not for legal play, uh, or not a legal card that says that on the back. And then on the front side, I have just a variety of, of open source art that I've, that I found, um, throughout, you know, just searching the internet. And so I took the open source art and I made, uh, made some pretty, pretty cool looking, uh, proxies for it. So, yeah. Cause, uh, yeah. Power nine is, uh, it's a bit pricey. It, and there's also, yeah. 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 yeah, especially for a cube and yeah. And also not to mention, it sounds like since you haven't really played your cube in a while, you haven't had a chance to, there probably hasn't been a lot of motivation to do updating just yet. Well, so I, I moved to a new area too, about six months ago and I haven't played, I've, I've played uh, a draft here in my new area, but it's just busy. And if you don't have friends that you enjoy hanging out with at the shop, then why go, you know, it's really hard to, to get into that and try to make new friends at shops where things just aren't consistent. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out my involvement in the game of magic from here on out. And I'm, you know, I might go Thursday night and go play some modern. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Um, so going back, to, uh, circling back to M2G finance though. Um, so obviously we're talking, you know, so up to this point, we've talked about, um, you know, your current involvement, your past involvement in regards to M2G finance, as well as just playing magic, the gathering itself. Like what are your, what your philosophies are, what, what your mindsets are, um, in regards to considering where you are now at MTG into the MTG finance game itself. What are your next steps? I mean, right now, I think, as you said before, you know, you've been, you came as a backpack grinder, selling between the five to $20 mark. You are in the present. You have goals that you want to go ahead and, you know, increase your reimbursement invoices, uh, frequency, as well as having a greater amount of money be brought in though. But like, what are your, what are your future plans from here on out? Um, my main goal is to be able to get to a point where I'm just doing enough to, so it, it doesn't 
It doesn't become a job, but rather it, it still remains a fun hobby. So the, the interactions that I have with other people is really what I value quite a bit. So being in the Discord, being involved with, uh, with this weekly podcast or bi-weekly podcast or monthly podcast, whatever we get around to, is really important to me. And that's, that's a lot of what I, I try to do. But as far as my game, right now, I just want to be a known quantity in the area my my new town. I want to be a known quantity of a person who, hey, if you need a hundred bucks cash, he's going to give you a good deal on your cards. So, you know, you may want to be, you may want to go reach out to Ken. So, I I really need to become a known quantity in the area. I need to up my game. I need to advertise well in the local area. And I think I think it's time to print up some some MTG Finance business cards, kind of like what a few of our other folks have done in the area. And just start sharing it with people and letting them know, hey, I'm I'm buying. I'll I'll give you a good cash rate, because the shops in the area are buying at fifty percent of TCG low. That's that's their offer. So the shops are are making quite a bit of money. But if I can step in and and offer them buy list, you know, at the very minimum, that's going to be a huge win for the local community as well. So it's it's a it's a real thing. Cool. So right now, your uh, so your objective to kind of recap, it's you're just trying to have a better presence within your local community uh, in regards to MTG finance. Yeah, and it's a whole new game when you move to a new area. You have to get to know the shop owners. You have to know what their boundaries are. You have to know the players. You have to be willing to play the game in the local area, and you have to be willing to have cards that that people want to buy from you. But I don't need to have cards that people want to buy from me. You know, I have an out on TCG, uh, on TCG player, but I need cards. So having locals that want to sell me cards is, is important too. For sure. Uh, do you also sell locally as well to local players or do you just mostly sell online? So I provide a service to close friends. Uh, that service is to source cards as cheaply as possible and then sell them to them at a 10% markup. Um, so my local friends get, get the father Ken discount. I'm not going to charge them, um, more than, than what I need to, but I'm going to get them the cards. I'm going to do the footwork. I'm going to put the risk in, uh, with my finance, uh, with my money to be able to get cards in hand. And I've developed a, a pretty large network of individuals that are willing to sell me cards, uh, that I trust. And because of that, I'm able to to flip cards locally for a profit. Maybe not as great of a profit as on TCG Player, but providing that service to to local players is one of the things that I value because it it keeps them knowing that I care about what they're playing. But then also it reminds them, hey, you know, he, I'm selling these cards to players. I'm also willing to buy them back from them in a year if I need to. So. What, um, so looking, you know, so got two questions left here, by the way. And uh, if anybody else has questions, you can also chime in onto the channel as well. So final two final questions. So first off, what advice would you give yourself to a year ago? Like what advice would you tell your one year less person? What would you tell them? I, I would have told myself, stop speculating. Stop gambling on the unknown. 
start using data to 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 figure out exactly what you're involved in like stop trying to guess what card's going to spike from any given set stop stop buying standard sets <laughs> you know it's that it's that kind of advice you know i'm i'm sitting here looking at stuff i've got a zendikar rising uh set booster sitting here and there's no value in it to do anything with it like i'm actively losing money by it sitting here hmm. you might just, have to throw that up on the auction house just stop <laughs> doing that <laughs> yeah there's i i would have told myself to stop speculating you know we we talk about mtg finances being a speculator's game it's not the the people who win are the ones that can can source cards locally and then resell them quickly you know that's the game you know if you want to speculate you're you're playing a you're playing a losing game you know you, yeah, that's you what talk that's what, i'll say that's why you have wall street bets for so yeah you go speculate go over there <laughs> but even more so you know we love the the sexy buy a bobble for one dollar and and sell it for 40 you know yeah that's great but that's not where you're going to make the most money where you're going to make the most money is buying cards locally and then reselling them, you know, and having, having relationships and having people to be able to do that. That's just going to create uh, a more consistent, you know, game for you. So. Yeah, I would say that's, that would be good advice to give yourself, you know, to a year ago. And I think that's very sound, especially since we here at BAM, we also have like tools that allow us to, read yeah. the markets to see what's up ahead see when inventory is dropping see when you know there's a lot of inventory coming in and we just we have a constant flow of information so it's natural it's yeah there's we don't need to rely on that that guessing game of just speculating thinking like well what if i mean granted yeah. some people still do and and there's a level of a, there's there's a level of like sometimes there's not a problem with it because you might still strike you know still strike gold but at the same time you have to information is just a lot more information is key in MTG finance. So yeah. I, I think your advice giving yourself to give to yourself a year ago, I think is very sound. Um, now I would also ask what advice would you give to somebody that is new to the MTG finance world? So I, this is the one that, that kind of forced me to, to think a little bit more um, because I I consider myself to still be one of the new guys in in MTG finance. I you know, I I may talk about how much money I've made over the last, you know, couple of months, but that's that's just a drop in the bucket compared to some folks in here. And I still f- consider myself to be pretty new. Um but the advice that I would give to people is set up your systems. You know, figure out how you're going to bring cards in, how you're going to get them listed, and then how they're going out of your house. Like, my wife just saw how I ship cards out because I've I've gone from doing it in in my attic crawl space at my old house to now I'm in the living room and a quarter of the living room is is my MTG um my finance game. And so I'm sitting at my desk and I've got my, my round table sitting here with all my cards on it. 
And then I've got my shipping station all set up in the same room, and I never have to put them away unless, even if visitors are coming over, I don't have to put them away now. And so I'm able to just process through them. My wife is just really impressed with the fact that I can sit down at my desk, print off the the cards that need to get shipped out, be able to pack them very quickly and get them into the stack to go to the post office. And then she saw the envelopes with which I do them, and it's nothing special. It just it's simple. Having a single window envelope, having your return labels already printed out, having stamps sitting here ready to go, um, having having a uh, having a, a a thermal printer to do shipping labels. Those are all things that just make things really easy on you in MTG Finance. So develop the systems first and then start the churn because nobody wants to be spending, you know, an hour pulling an RI. Nobody does. Even the people who sold $2,000 worth of cards don't want to spend an hour pulling an RI. So organize your cards in such a way that makes it easy for you to pull them. You know, and sometimes you have to pack 2,000 cards into an RI. Well, figure out a way to do that quickly and easily. You know, and figure out a way to to just make your life simpler. So, yeah, Wit, I know you're spending three hours pulling an RI on average. Uh, sorry. Uh, I, I, for the record, for those who are listening in but not actually part of the di- current Discord right now, I just typed it in just to not interrupt that I typed, I spend using an average of three hours pulling an, R, uh, pulling an RI because usually I have sometimes you know, usually between four to 800 cards, sometimes up to a thousand, 1200. And I've got a good system, but it just takes a lot of time. Cause I post a lot of like low bottom tier cards. Yeah. So yeah, Which, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you on that. <laughs> no, it's fine. But I also imagine that since we'll, we'll get into your interview in the coming weeks, but you know, you're operating out of an apartment and you know, you, this is your full-time job and you have a little bit more time, but you also don't want to sit and spend your entire day organizing cards. So I imagine that your organization lacks a little bit of a focus, but at the same time, I think that you have to know where your cards are. Otherwise you just can't sell them effectively. Yeah, that's definitely true. And, and as you said, I mean, I'm going to, in one of the upcoming interviews here, I mean, I will touch into that, touch into what I have, you know, what my systems look like. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's not the most fine tuned machine on the planet, but you know, it's, it, it works. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, spoilers. So, yeah. Spoilers, you know, a little, uh, you know, teaser for next episode. Um, so with that also said, um, does anybody else have any questions? I mean, Wolf, obviously, uh, you know, you've been kind of sitting here for a little bit of time. I mean, you probably have, you've got at least, you know, probably a handful of questions that you're dying to ask Father Ken here. And one of the benefits of doing regular podcasts with Ken and also personal conversations is uh, I've gotten to know him quite well. So it's hard to know what to, to properly ask, but... I'm more curious is just your personal growth with the game itself. And I know you've touched on it a bit, but I mean, cause you mentioned that you started the game basically helping somebody 
kind of re-enter society. And I know I'm paraphrasing that severely, right. but and then you started enjoying it, and then you know you you now buy and sell it. What has just in your own words that growth in terms of personal development been like? So it's it's really has forced me to think about things outside of a traditional baby boomer mentality. Uh, so I, I am one of the older guys in the discord. Um, I'm, I'm in my, my mid forties now. Um, I am, uh, I, I grew up in a very traditional boomer household where you, you went to work, you did your 40 hours, then you came home and, and stayed home. So my, my parents very rarely went out. They very rarely went out to eat. They very rarely, uh, spent money that they didn't have to. And so it was all about that grind to be able to get, to be able to do a good job and then come home and enjoy it, enjoy the, the financial benefits of that. And so I don't have a entrepreneurial mindset that I wanted to, uh, coming into MTG finance. I, I was very risk oriented as far as, uh, my career. Uh, I, I chose to do a career that uh, really was a huge risk. Um, you know, I was, I was involved with starting a new church and I was the, I was the main guy starting the church and we can get into that personally, but, uh, offline, but that takes a lot of entrepreneurial mindset. And I, I didn't have it. I didn't have that learning curve. I knew, I knew generally what to do, but I didn't know how to go about doing it. And so it forced me to to learn how to how to register a business, how to do business taxes, how to you know take care of of the nonprofit side of things, how to how to file, you know, how to just make sure the bills got paid. And at the same time, I did not have that mindset when walking into MTG Finance. I like one of the huge things that needed to change for me is that I had to realize that if I didn't sell cards, I didn't have money. And so I, I had to actively learn to list cards. It was, it's really hard for me to, to be that risky, you know, to be able to put cards up and to, to actively seek to sell them. That's, that's a risk thing for me. That was hard to work through. And I think it took a, a good, year and a half for me to list more than 20 cards. You know, it, I, I just wanted to sell cards that would sell quickly. And so I wouldn't list everything. I just list it when, when it got up to the right price for me, but then everything was so discombobulated and everything wasn't in uh, one area. And I would have cards sitting in like 35 different boxes. And the next thing you know is, you know, you just can't keep track of everything. And so I had to learn to risk well. I had to learn to be okay with with taking a loss on things. I had to learn how to how to ship things. I had to learn how to be a good customer service and eat it when the post office runs over a $200 card with a card. You know, it's it sucks. But at the same time, you know, it takes risk. And it takes the willingness to to fail and the willingness to, to not get bent out of shape by it. I think that was the hardest thing for me is just to learn to be okay with, with the losses. Charlie, Charlie gave me that advice about two years ago. And, um, he's, he's the one that really, really forced me to think about what I was doing in MTG finance. If I wasn't listing cards, 
And then, and then to add into that, Coda, Coda went to my shop and said, Ken, I want to buy cards from you, but you don't have any cards. I can't buy cards from you. And, uh, <laughs> I think I remember that. I remember that. Yeah. When- and Coda was just like, you need to list some cards. And it forced me to, to actively go into the boxes and list cards. So I do have a question for you. Um, you know, so in Magic the Gathering, we have elves, we have dwarves, we have uh, various <laughs> different kinds of creatures. You know where I'm going to go with this question. Of all yeah. the types of creatures in the game, why minotaurs? I mean, for those who don't know, Father Ken, by the way, that are listening in, uh, I mean, I, it's, it's very prevalent here in the band Discord that Father Ken is a huge total nerd when it comes to minotaurs he has an absolute obsession with them um but yeah i think this is kind of a question that i don't know if it's in the back of everybody's mind but i guarantee you there are a lot of people here that are wondering why minotaurs so do you remember theros block yes i do okay do you remember the return to ravnica block Yes, I do. Be- between Return to Ravnica and Theros Block, there was a really inexpensive standard deck that you could pull together. Um, so that that inexpensive standard deck was was Minotaur Aggro. And you remember, Born of the Gods had um, had a Minotaur that reduced the casting cost of Minotaurs by one. Well, by by, by red green, That's uh, red right. black. Yeah, it reduced it by red black, and that was the first time it ever reduced uh, the casting cost by a specific color for a specific creature, and so um, that just that just drew my attention. Yep, there's Ragemonger. It's fantastic. I can't believe so, I remembered that. <laughs> so, I I was just starting to play. And the chase card for me was Boros Reckoner. Because I thought to myself, I could just wall up here behind a Boros Reckoner if I needed to until I had enough velocity of, of Ragemongers and uh, Kragmaw Warcallers to be able to attack in and win. And that was the first time that I really went 2-3 and three at an F&M with, with standard, <laughs> standard Minotaurs. And so people started handing me random minotaurs, just randomly. I'd be sitting there and people would hand me a minotaur. And I'd be just like, hey, thanks, man. I appreciate it. This might work in in my standard minotaur stack. And people were really supportive and encouraging and helpful. I think so. It's just kind of continued on. People keep handing me random minotaurs. I I ended up with a, a, a collector's edition minotaur that somebody handed me at one point. Um... You know, it was just kind of fun to be able to have people hand me stuff. So I just kept going with it. I wanted to show people that I I still had the minotaurs that they gave me. So I would, I started this binder of minotaurs. And so um, I'm one of the few in the world that has a a world set of Herloon minotaur. Um, I've worked with Anson Maddox in the past and, and Brenda, and they are fantastic people to work with. Um, I got all of his judge, all of his artist proofs uh, from when he did her loon minotaur. Um, and then I've, I've just collected one of every English minotaur that has been in the, uh, has been printed 
And so I've, I've got this giant binder of Minotaurs, and I absolutely love it. It makes me laugh every time I look at it. Uh, it just brings great joy and giggling to me every single time I, I look at it. So, Huh. That's really cool. Like, I'll be honest, I, I, I kind of assumed the reason that you chose Minotaurs out of all things uh, was because Minotaurs are very strong and you like working out. So I didn't know if there was some sort of correlation between that. Just a bonus. Uh, just a bonus. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Father Ken, do you have any uh, additional things you want to say in regards to yourself? Anything that was not covered? No, I'm, I'm doing just fine, guys. Uh, if you have personal questions that you'd like to, to ask me directly, by all means, send me a DM. I'd love to talk with you about um, myself or about my life or about you know maybe stuff that you're going through. Um, I've had a few people reach out to me from the discord that have been going through a tough time and I'm more than willing to talk with folks as there's need, as needs arise. And, you know, we're here for each other, you know, even though we're, we may be thousands of miles apart, we are part of a community and I, I want people to know that, uh, they're supported. So. He built communities locally and online. What a guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Try to do that. All right. That's all I've got for you. Um, should we wrap up or do we have yeah. anything else to add? I think we can wrap this up. All right. Yeah. I want to thank everybody for joining us on the Ban Arbitrage Network. I hope that you've enjoyed uh, talking with me, but then also listening to Wit, who is one of our most recent additions to the to the podcast. He's a fantastic addition. We really appreciate him and being a part of things. And Wolf, although you've been more quiet recently, we thank you for being a part of this as well. And we want to thank all of you for taking time out of your day to enjoy and learn a little bit more about collectible finance from us here at the Ban Arbitrage Network. Hope you guys enjoy the rest of your day.